Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, a frequent guest on our program many times, Tom Jensen, who's Director of Public Policy Polling. We have uh, been quite uh, intensive, uh, talking intensively about uh, the national situation, Biden versus Trump, the uh, impact of uh, voting out House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and uh, the abortion issue and some other things of that nature. Uh, but usually along the way, Tom, you do a little kind of fun polling from time to time. Before we get back to a more serious look at the North Carolina races, uh, have you done any fun polling recently that uh, you can tell us about? No. Uh, You've I'll lost your be- sense of humor. Well, I think the country's lost its sense of humor is is actually more what's happened. You know, it, it when... When we were not so divided and so nasty to each other, we could do funnier polls. And uh, I think as social media has gotten more toxic over the last uh, eight or nine years, you know, any time that we uh, would do anything more lighthearted, we'd just have uh, people being nasty to us and stuff like that. And I aspire to live a low drama life. So uh, we increasingly just do the polls that we get paid to do and do not uh do not incur that sort of wrath on ourselves unnecessarily. So sort of a sad commentary uh, on how the country has changed over the last decade, but we simply could not operate the way that we used to operate now uh, because everything's gotten so much more toxic. So I apologize. What about I sports? The, I miss you, those uh, days. Have Let's talk a little bit about sports. Have you done any polling on things like conference realignment and uh, the NIL and the uh, transfer portal? Have you done any polling on that sort of thing? Uh, We haven't polled on any of those things. I know that uh, what polling there is out there says that people don't like the transfer portal and don't like NIL and don't like conference realignment. But uh, I I think we have very much learned that things related to college sports are not a democracy. Uh, And certainly anything related to the NCAA is not a democracy. So uh, I don't think people like a lot of the changes that are occurring, but I, I don't know that they have much to say about them. Well, let's turn now to the North Carolina outlook. Uh, of course, we uh, uh, Governor Cooper has served his two terms. Uh, from time to time, I hear his name mentioned possibly as a candidate for a higher office. But uh, other than that, uh, he is, uh, of course, history as far as being governor of North Carolina after this term. Uh, and so the Republicans have uh, Mark Robinson being mentioned, or I actually is a candidate, Dale Falwell, Mark Walker, Jesse Thomas, Andy Wells are mentioned. On the Democratic side, you've got Josh Stein and now Michael Morgan. So let's uh, uh, ask you about uh, what polling you're doing on those races and uh, how do they those polls look? Uh, we definitely have overwhelming front runners in both of the primaries for governor. Uh, Josh Stein has a significant advantage on the Democratic side uh, for the nomination, and Mark Robinson uh, has a significant advantage on the Republican side for the nomination. It's sort of hard for me to imagine anything uh, that might happen to change that. Uh, and you know, one thing that's sort of interesting in terms of the possibility of any of that changing is. Uh, the primary really is coming up pretty quickly for uh, our state offices in North Carolina. Uh, when we don't have a presidential election, our primaries 
uh, tend not to be until May, but I think we're headed for uh, primaries for all this stuff in March if the uh, current calendar holds. So uh, once we get to the end of the year, it's really going to be coming up pretty quick. Uh, and Stein and Robinson have both had substantial leads uh, in their primaries for quite a long time now with nothing really to uh, challenge their standing. So I'm pretty confident that that's going to be your your choices for governor. We have some uh, contesting coming up for state auditor. Um, as uh, David Bullock has announced a candidacy. Uh, and, uh, of course, we have an incumbent that's been in for some time but had some bad press last year. Have you polled on that? Uh, we haven't done any polling on the state auditor's race, but that's been one of the very closest races in the state uh, in each of the last two elections with uh, Beth Wood both times winning by a, a pretty tight margin. And I'd expect that you're probably going to see something like uh, that again in 2024. I think it just speaks to our our general uh, place in North Carolina as being one of the most competitive states in the country. Uh, and what that means is that most of our statewide races are going to be really competitive. So uh, I, I honestly don't know how much the uh, scandal is going to hurt Beth Wood because I just don't think that voters pay that much attention to uh, the state auditor. Uh, so I think just since we're accustomed to close races, we will likely have another one. Again, North Carolina has uh, an increasingly higher number of unaffiliated voters each election. Is that changing anything? And also, uh, while you're talking about that, what about the Hispanic vote, which has not been a real factor in the past? Is, when will that become a factor? Uh, it's definitely at a point where the Hispanic vote is creeping up to being like three or four percent of the electorate. So uh, it's constantly on the move. But I, I still think it's going to probably be another decade before it's a really uh, substantial portion of the electorate. But certainly uh, that doesn't mean that the Hispanic electorate isn't important uh, because we've sort of seen a trend nationally uh, in the Trump years where uh, Democrats went from winning maybe. 70, 75 percent of the Hispanic vote in most states uh, when Obama was president to winning more like 60 percent of the Hispanic vote uh, in the time since Trump and Biden became president. And given how incredibly close North Carolina has been uh, in elections for things like governor and Senate and president over the last decade, even though the Hispanic percentage of the electorate isn't huge, the difference between Democrats winning 60 percent of it and 70 percent of it uh, really could end up being a, a, a sort of tiebreaker for what happens in statewide races. So uh, it is definitely important and becoming more important by the year. Well, anytime where races are down to 50-50 or 51-49, 1% becomes very important. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, especially if it's switching from one side to the other. Uh, if it's just new vote. And there is a difference between additional vote and change vote where someone changes, because if you change, if it's 50-50, it becomes 51-49. But if you just add a vote, it becomes 51-50. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's, I guess that has to do with get out and vote. Uh, and uh, which party do you think will be in the best shape to increase their vote count this year? Well, uh that's that's sort of an interesting question, because definitely the answer to who has been doing a better job of getting their people out to vote is the Republicans. 
2020, 81% of Republicans and only 75% of Democrats turned out to vote. Uh, and Trump won the state by one point. Tom Tillis got reelected by about one point. If Democrats had turned out at the same rate as Republicans, Democrats would have won both of those races in 2020. And I think that the turnout gap between Republicans and Democrats in 2022 was even larger. Almost all of the legislative seats that Democrats lost in 2022 uh, were pretty much in rural uh, districts with a lot of African-American voters where there just wasn't very strong African-American turnout. Uh, and when we look at all of the things Republicans in the legislature have been able to do uh, this session because there's not enough Democrats there to sustain the governor's vetoes, a lot of that just comes down to Democrats not turning out at a high enough rate in last year's election. Uh, so definitely the answer to who has had the turnout advantage is Republicans. I guess a big question for North Carolina in 2024 is whether Democrats can sort of offset some of that advantage that Republicans have had. Democrats do have more room to grow uh, in terms of who votes and who doesn't. Uh, and I think that we are very possibly looking at another set of races quite similar to 2020, where you're going to be looking at a 50-50 race for president, a 50-50 race for governor, probably 50-50 races for a lot of the statewide offices. Uh, and Democrats uh, would definitely give themselves a better chance of ending up on the right side of the 51 to 49 coin uh, in next year's election if they could uh, close the gap in terms of who uh, is turning out. Basically, every election for the last decade in North Carolina has been 51-49 one way or the other. Generally speaking, the Republicans are winning those 51-49 elections, and the difference between Republicans winning 51-49 and Democrats winning 51-49 has been Republicans doing a better job of getting their people out to vote. We talked earlier about uh, abortion being a major issue, especially in some of the states that you've polled so far. How important is that issue in North Carolina? Is it any different from the other states? No, I think that it has the same uh, possibility here to be really salient as other places, especially because the uh, General Assembly has passed new laws that have uh, made it harder to get an abortion in North Carolina. Uh, I think that that's definitely something that you're going to see Democratic uh, candidates talking about a lot, especially in uh, competitive parts of the state uh, over the next year. And that actually speaks to sort of an interesting dynamic that occurred in last year's elections is that uh, Democrats actually, for the most part, ended up holding up better than you would expect them to do in a midterm election. The places where Democrats didn't do very well were super blue states like uh, New York and California, because there wasn't any threat to abortion laws in those states. And that wasn't uh, something that could really be used as a motivating factor for voters in those states the way it has in a lot of other places. Because Republicans in the General Assembly here have decided to pass stricter abortion laws, even in this political climate that's very concerned about abortion rights and very much uh, showing backlash against anybody who uh, sort of endangers abortion rights. I think that very much uh, has left the, the issue on the table as something that Democrats might be able to use effectively in the course of their 2024 campaigns in the state. So what are the other issues that will be important in the North Carolina races? Crime, of course, is always uh, an issue. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot about education um, in this next election. Uh, Republicans passed some stuff related to 
uh, vouchers and school choice that's pretty broadly unpopular. So I think you'll see uh, Democrats talking about those sorts of issues uh, a good bit in the next year. So I expect to see that uh, as as sort of a point of emphasis. Um, and then I, I think uh, something else that is, is sort of worth looking out for is uh, sometimes we have issues related to uh, transportation and traffic that sometimes are very local in nature, but can have a major statewide impact. For instance, uh, Pat McCrory blames his 2016 defeat in part on uh, people being mad about tolls on the on I-77 down in Charlotte. So it'll be interesting to see if any of those sorts of more hyper-local issues uh, pop up as things that have a big impact in the statewide campaign. Uh, and then the other thing that you've seen uh, sort of as big issues this year sort of creeping up that I would say in some ways haven't touched North Carolina as much as other places, but I think you'll still see them talked about a lot. Uh, immigration is sort of moving back up the list of things that uh, people are interested in as the migrant crisis plays out across the country. Uh, and then obviously with the continued proliferation of mass shootings, um, I think that uh, gun laws and, and issues related to that could play a big role next year as well. Well, you know, obviously people are very concerned about guns and gun control and and, uh, and crime because it uh, those mass shootings are certainly uh, get front page news coverage and are very tragic in most cases and probably unnecessary. The problem is the number of guns that are already out there. <laughs> I'm not, you know, uh, controlling guns in the future is going to help a little bit, but it's uh, there's enough guns out there now that we will be dealing with guns forever one way or the other. Uh, the immigration situation in North Carolina is such that uh, with the migrant farm workers, we actually uh, have a more sympathy, I would think, in North Carolina for migrant farm workers than most states would have. Our guest is Tom Jensen. He's the Director of Public Policy Polling. We have one final segment coming up, and we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. 
We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Tom Jensen, and we have had a very interesting program as Tom, of course, does polling not only here in North Carolina, but all across the country. Uh, In the first segment, we talked a lot about the presidential uh, campaign going on between President Biden and uh, former President Trump, and uh, we talked about uh, the impact of uh, voting out House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. We talked about uh, the impact maybe on the congressional level of some redistricting in the segment two. So if you miss those segments and you're interested, you might want to go back to carolinanewsmakers.com and listen to the entire broadcast or share it with a friend. Uh, that's carolinanewsmakers.com. Tom, we want to turn uh, just a minute here and talk a little bit generally about news and news coverage. One of the things that bothers me with the day and age where we no longer have the daily newspaper is where are people getting their news and how confident are they in the news sources that are out there? Well, one thing that is kind of interesting is that as much as we think of it as a dying medium, uh, people do get more of their political information uh, from local TV news than any other source. That's still the case uh, even now. It's probably not the case to the extent that it was uh, a, a few decades ago. But when we ask people in the course of doing political polling where they're getting their most information from, uh, that is still the answer is that it's from uh, TV news. Um, but uh, generally, I think where we're seeing huge increases is that people are definitely getting more and more of their news from the internet. Uh, and maybe the the more disturbing trend is that more and more people are getting their news from social media. And I think those trends are definitely contributing to the divisions in the country uh, because let's say that people uh, listen to WPTF to get their news. They're going to hear a pretty down the middle uh, account of things that's fair to both sides. But if people are instead getting their news from somewhere like social media, uh, it's often very skewed to the left, very skewed to the right. People are just receiving information in a way that sort of reinforces their existing beliefs. And that contributes to us having so much more division in the country uh, is if we're not we're not even getting the facts and we can't even agree on what the facts are. Uh, so I think that that has been an unhealthy trend for sure. The term artificial intelligence uh, scares me. Uh, what do you see and how do you feel like artificial intelligence could affect the way people get their news? Well, it's already leading to people believing things that aren't true. Uh, It it seems like this is particularly an issue with uh, crazy pictures of the Outer Banks over the course of uh, this year. I'm I'm always seeing these crazy pictures of things that happened on the Outer Banks that didn't really happen. And they're just spreading like wildfire uh, that people have altered these images and used artificial intelligence to, uh, you know, create these things. And then people just sort of accept it at face value. So we've already, you know, had these problems with truthfulness and that sort of thing. And I think you are going to have just an increase of more and more stuff that's flat out made up, but made up in a professional looking manner that lends it credibility and makes people believe that it's real. So I think that this misinformation problem is just going to really be uh, even further exasperated by uh, artificial intelligence in the in the years to come. Do you see government getting involved in trying to control uh, this type of of, uh, 
I mean, this really is fake news. You hear a lot about fake news, but this really is fake news. I mean, everybody would have to agree it's fake. Yeah, and I think that people's um, guards have gotten down if it's something that uh, makes them happy. You know, people are willing to be sort of credulous about stuff if it sort of reinforces their existing worldview rather than approaching it with the kind of skepticism that they probably ought to. Uh, and then certainly, uh, I think that people sort of like to believe wild things, so they sometimes don't uh, approach that with the sort of filter of figuring out, is this really legitimate that they uh, probably should? So uh, I wish I had optimism for the trajectory that we were heading on related to those sorts of issues, but uh, I think it is just going to continue to get worse and worse. Oh, uh, statewide basis, the people that serve in the General Assembly, of course, are very close to their electorate because they have very small districts and are usually pretty well known. Um, we talked earlier about how important the abortion issue is to most people, including people in North Carolina. But what happens when you have a very popular state senator or state uh, representative that's well known in an area, and he takes a position on abortion that's uh, opposed to what that uh, voter might feel like, on what side do they come down on? Do they stick with the tried and tested on all the other issues that uh, they've known and liked about this individual, or are they swayed by his position on or her position on abortion? So there actually pretty much is no such thing as a popular local elected official these days when it comes to state legislators and that sort of thing. That is something we saw a lot more in our polling in a previous generation than now. Pretty much any state legislator that we poll on now uh, will find that a majority of voters in their district don't have any opinion about them one way or the other. Uh, I, I genuinely consider like 40% to be a good approval rating for a state senator or a state house member, because it usually comes out more like 25 to 25, with 50% of people saying they have no opinion about them one way or the other. And I think that trend is very much a focus of things changing in the media, too. Uh, people used to read their daily newspaper and listen to their local radio station and that sort of thing, and they had a high level of knowledge about who their uh, officials were at the local level. And because of that, people, as you noted, used to be able to build personal brands that held up even if the district was in a, a totally different sort of place. You could have districts that uh, voted incredibly Republican at the presidential level, but would keep a Democratic legislator around if they uh, thought that they were a reasonable person and vice versa. And now what we see is that legislative results very rarely veer very far away from how people are voting for president in those exact same districts. If let's say Joe Biden won a legislative district by two points, you're almost definitely going to see the legislative race fall somewhere between the Democrat winning by five or six points or the Republican winning by two or three points. He used to have situations like with uh, David Hoyle in Gaston County, uh, where he could win 70% of the vote and George W. Bush could win 70% of the vote at the exact same time. You could see the same set of voters voting 80 points different for two races on the same ballot. Uh, and now you have a situation where it's very, very unusual to see more than about six or seven points of separation. So uh, that's a roundabout way to, to get to your question, which is that uh, there's really just not a lot of people uh, being able to take unpopular positions or being an unpopular party in their district and still 
uh, get through based on their personal popularity, because the days of local legislators having very much personal popularity are pretty much gone, I think, partially because of polarization and national politics sort of taking over everything, and partially because people just aren't getting enough local news to sort of develop that kind of relationship with their officials at the local level. Yeah, because we mentioned the the death of the daily newspaper. In many cases, the community newspapers are uh, subject to having a very small staff, and they just don't cover as much news as they formerly covered, and their circulation is not as strong. Yeah, it's definitely just a, a shadow of what it once was, and I think it's had a, a lot of implications uh, that have sort of spread throughout society and politics in particular. So uh, what do you see as a solution to getting the public better informed so they can make better decisions? Uh, to be very honest, I I am not very optimistic that there are solutions. Um, you know, I'd like to say that uh, there's some way that we could get people interested in, uh, in, in paying attention to stuff at a higher level of depth and in a more uh, impartial way uh, than they do now and in a way that's more akin to what we would have seen in uh, past years. But Certainly, uh, in the 16 years that I've been doing this job, the trends on those sorts of things have gone all in uh, one direction. Um, so uh, I, I hate to be downcast, but I'm I'm not very uh, uh, upbeat about the the future of our democracy and voters' level of information and uh, all that sort of thing. I think that we're trending in a really poor direction, and uh, I, I sort of anticipate that we're just going to continue trending further in a very poor direction, and I'll be quite happy if I end up being wrong about that. Well, unfortunately, I think more people would have to agree with your position on that than would disagree because all the facts are lined up. But, uh, of course, things can change and hopefully will change. So you've got about uh, two minutes to sort of wrap up everything we talked about in the first segment about uh, the Trump versus uh, Biden, not only nationally, but in North Carolina and the governor's race. So give us a very quick update on what you've already said. Say it again. <laughs> I think the bottom line, both for the presidential race nationally and for the key races in North Carolina, is that we're just headed into an extremely competitive year politically in 2024. Uh, I expect that uh, the presidential race is really going to end up in a very similar place to where it was in 2020. And even though Joe Biden won the popular vote by a decent amount in 2020 and ended up winning the Electoral College by a decent amount in 2020, most of the key states were extremely close. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona were all decided by about a point, as was North Carolina. Uh, Biden's landslides in the swing states were two-point win in Nevada, three-point win in Michigan. So I expect all of those key states to be very close again. So even though I'm pretty confident that Biden will win the popular vote uh, again, as he did in 2020, it would not take much to push all those key swing states that he won by one point into one point wins for Trump this time around. So I think it's going to be very close. Uh, and certainly North Carolina is going to be an important part of that closeness. Uh, I expect North Carolina to once again be one of the closest states in the country, just as it was, as it was in 2008, just as it was in 2012. Three out of the last four election cycles, North Carolina's presidential race has been decided by about a point. 
I expect something similar to that in 2024. And I think that we can expect that same sort of closeness, certainly in our uh, most important statewide race for governor, which is likely to be between uh, Democrat Josh Stein and Republican Mark Robinson, both of whom have large leads in their primaries. Uh, I think that one's probably going to come right down to the wire. Uh, and then we obviously have important elections for things like lieutenant governor, uh, state treasurer, state auditor, state superintendent, et cetera. I expect all those to be close as well. And then one final big implication of North Carolina in national politics, uh, the redistricting of our U.S. House districts is likely to give Republicans a big advantage that could help them keep their overall advantage in the U.S. House for the whole country. Tom, great recap. Tom Jensen, Director of Public Policy Polling, has been our guest. And we, as always, appreciate your comments and candor. This program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises to have another good, good guest for us next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. If you'd like more information, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.